This is the Financial Coconut Podcast, Singapore's first personal finance podcast network. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut. Every Wednesday, you'll be chilling with me and my guests, who are some of the quirkiest, geekiest people we can find on the internet about how they do money and life. Sit back, relax. We are a few days away from the weekend. Welcome to Chills with TFC. You don't feel like you, you should start at a place where you find it cool. Because a lot of people yeah. will try to like monetize their passion. Uh, I think it's a very dangerous and risky... I, I, I think I vibe with that, but place. please share your point of view. Yes, yes. So the problem with that, right, is that it's not grounded in a problem or a pain point. Um, Luckily, you never say the word reality. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Chill Swift TFC, where we sit down with the geekiest, quirkiest individuals to learn about how they do money and life. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut, and today I want to double down on this whole building a business on the site thing. I know we're on a streak, and I know that there's a group of you out there thinking of starting a small business as your retirement plan, or even your transition away from a full-time job plan. But many of you tuning in have a super intense full-time career, let alone a family, two kids, three kids, you know, what have you. So the question is, how can you start a business with no time and limited bandwidth? So I am super excited to introduce all of you to Elvin Poe from Super Scaling, which at the age of 33 years old sold his internet business for $30 million. Not too bad, pretty good, I would say. So he has been there, done that. So I think we may have found the right person for this matter. This is Chill Swift TFC. 
I was like working on my business for 17 years. And then post-sale, suddenly I would wake up and then there's like literally nothing. No responsibilities, nobody to take care of, nothing to handle. So I thought to myself, you know what? I'm just going to go travel the world. Mm. And that's what I did. Full-time, two years, sold everything I had and then just went traveling. Just living everywhere. I went to learn snowboarding, did all kinds of stuff and then came back. Thankfully, uh, before all the COVID restrictions and lockdowns happened in, mm. in 2020, um, maybe not so thankful, you know, if you stayed a bit longer, you oh, would have been traveling more, right? You would have, right? you would yeah. have <laughs> more time, right? So perspectives, perspectives, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Give, give us something like, what is what, what are some of the fun stuff that, that you tried? Oh, wow. So I had this philosophy in 2018 to not say no to anything, right? Has this philosophy changed first? <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, very not, good. Yes, not, very good. Not I mean, like this yes, star yes. and yeah. the terms and conditions <laughs> yeah, will, will yes. apply. Yes, yes, yes. Um, funny thing, one, when I had that philosophy in 2018, uh, one of my friends approached me and said, hey man, want to go to Mongolia and live with the nomads? And I was like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I've never been to Mongolia, never lived with the nomads, and I did not know the climate. The point of time of our trip was actually in the middle of Mongolian winter oh my god and we were in the middle of the Gobi Desert freezing our asses off just in case uh, you, you don't know what Mongolian winter is like right uh, a good day is like negative 40 degrees Celsius negative 40 degrees Celsius uh. that was my life for one week I don't regret it I think it's super fun but the next time I go to Mongolia will be in summer <laughs> yes yes okay okay yeah so that's what happens when you uh, have that kind of philosophy of not saying no, uh, mm. which is nice, you know, get you out of your comfort zone, don't know where you're going, that kind of mm, thing. Mm, mm. Yeah, so then you came back and then and then during pandemic, you, you uh, do this whole like yeah, so training was, thing, was, was enter like, the guru space, eh, eh? Yeah, eh? yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, uh, like, yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, there's only so much traveling you can do and I did that for like two years and, and somewhere, actually somewhere in the middle already, I was, I was starting to ask myself, what is it that I want to do, right? You never get any backlash for this. For saying that there's only so much traveling you can do. Like, then, ah, then privilege. Like, you know, I, I travel very sien. <laughs> you know? Okay, so, again, context. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of people love the idea of like, you know, retiring and like, just finally being able to not work anymore. I've realized that what is better is maybe finding work that you can enjoy and commit and, you know, be happy about. Because at the end of the day, when you retire and then you have nothing to do, there's really only so much that can can be done. To me, I was painted that story, right? It's like, oh, work is work. And after that, you can retire and then you can do whatever you want. And then you realize there's really nothing that you want to do. I tried like snowboarding. I tried learning snowboarding. I was like picking up dance. I was like doing like all kinds of stuff all over the world also. Yeah, I just found that, you know, after a while you got to have purpose, right? Something that's driving you. Yeah, and that's when I realized retirement in the conventional sense doesn't really work. You need to do something. And that was when I realized my thing was entrepreneurship. That's why I was always very, very conflicted, especially when I was running Vodian, uh, because I was, I was always at work. And people will ask me, my friends will ask me like, hey man, you're always at work. What do you do for fun? And I was like, so conflicted. It was such a hard difficult question to answer because I, I didn't have to answer. I didn't have anything else outside of work. Like, I loved work. Work to me was fun, but I didn't realize it at that point in time. So, some of my friends do have work that they 
they don't particularly enjoy, they don't particularly like. And so there's always something outside of work that they look forward to, whether it's their hobbies or their pastimes or whatever it is that they're doing, right? I didn't have that. Like my work would be what I enjoyed. So I guess you could call it being a workaholic or something. Mm. But I realized when I was traveling, at the end of the day, I wanted to be part of something that was purposeful, that gave me a sense of responsibility, that gave me a sense of being like useful. That was business and entrepreneurship. So I came back and started back to the hustle. more business. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But let's be clear also, like not everybody gets to work on something that they truly enjoy and then can feed themselves and everything. And it's quite a good position to be in. Oh, right? Definitely. Right? And, and if, if you don't have that, you can continue to be on the search for that. Yes. You know, and uh, we're not making a moral judgment on that, right? So yeah. yes, it's just for I don't. I, I try to protect him. I don't get cancelled, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then after that, you move on to really kind of do this whole like, business, training, you know, your face is everywhere. I'm saying, why is this guy everywhere, right? So, <laughs> so it's like, very annoying, right? But, but okay, but then I was like, yeah, 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 maybe I should bring some of these annoying people on set, right? And ask them some questions, right? So so we are here today. I, I really wanted to talk a little bit more about like growing a business, you know, like because that's what you teach people, right? Like grow a business and, um, you know, how to scale something. I mean, yeah, so like, okay, maybe we start with the scaling part, right? Since that is like your main thing, right? So, yeah. so must I have a business to scale something in, in that sense? Like, do I need to first figure out the first part? Oh, wow. So here's what I also realized over the, the past few years. Uh, the reason why I went to this was because after the sale, especially, uh, and mm -hmm. after I made that donation to SMU, like things became more public and people were approaching me for business advice and mentorship. And I always found those interactions to be very, number one, one-sided, and number two, not very sustainable. Like, they'll take your advice, if they do, and then they'll leave, and then that's the last you hear of them, right? So you don't know if it's useful, you don't know what the end result is, you don't know what the impact is. Sometimes you don't even know their context. Like, if you, you could ask me, like, hey man, what, what should I eat for lunch? I don't know if, if your, your dietary re uh, restrictions or requirements, I don't know what you had, like, yesterday. I could tell you my favorite food, but it wouldn't be something that you like. You know, all these contextual information, that's not provided. And it's very, very hard in a single session to provide something that's very useful for someone else. Mm. That was what I discovered. And I realized that it's really a frame or context or some form of common understanding that people don't have when they have, like, typical conversations. That was what drove me to create like a framework around which people could talk about business, mm. the different aspects, you know. That's why there's a book around it also. The idea is to teach people like the fundamentals and then with the fundamentals, then we can have a conversation around the things that matter. So yeah. Maybe you can paint us a broad stroke of like what are what are some of the fundamentals of business? I'm not a coach, right? I didn't start off like being a teacher, coach or mentor. Uh, that was very... That's why I want to get you off. <laughs> if you're those pure coaches, I sorry. There are a lot of people in the circuit, right? They're in the coaching circuit. They start yeah. out as a coach. They're forever a coach. And then they come out as like, what have you done before, <laughs> right? So, and I overheard Elvin the other day, uh, Dr. Wealth. Ah. Right, Elvin was like, uh, uh, the other Elvin, right? Yeah. He was like, oh, this Elvin, the book quite good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, okay, come, come. Let's talk about it, right? Oh, so so bring, bring me through, like, what are some fundamentals when I when I think about business. I mean, to provide context, right? Most of our listeners will not be like business people, you know? They're probably mm. like, you know, salaried people, you know, like working hard, hustling. Maybe not hustling, like, it's okay, you can tamping, you know, it's up to you. <laughs> but but a lot of people have this idea these days of like, oh, let me build a side hustle, right? Let me build an e-commerce store. Let me build something online, build a small right. business. Yeah. So yeah. for someone in such a parameter, right? Like yeah. what are some business fundamentals that they should know? 
so my book, the super scaling book, and the framework that I use for my coaching is all based on the notion of systems. I come from a technical background, right? I was trained as a programmer. So I'm like the engineering sort that like looks at problems in a very logical way. And the most logical way to piece everything together is through systems. I'm not talking about software. I'm talking about the fact that when you repeat or when you do an action, you want to get to a behavior, a set of outcomes, right? And you want to make sure that every single time you do that, it's the same way. Right, whether you're doing it yourself or whether someone else in your team is doing it, anyone else is doing it, right? When they follow that system, the same set of outcomes is achieved, right? And that to me is a system, something that's sustainable, something that's repeatable. That is the fundamental idea behind superscaling. The second fundamental idea behind superscaling is the notion of being aware of results first, right? What's the intent behind everything that we do? A lot of times, that is not clear. When people are not clear about identifying and scoping out the requirements or the results, it's impossible or it's very, very difficult to actually create a set of actions that get you to that point, right? Because if like that saying goes, if you don't know where you're going, then any road will lead you there. So I think these are the two fundamental points of super scaling and upon which I created like five principles. It's called the 5E scale engine. It starts with evolve, envision, empower, engage, and execute. So at first I thought business was all about business, right? Like look at the business. This is how you grow the business. Then I realized that with every business, it's not the business that matters. When you look at all the successful businesses out there, it's, it's never about the business. It's not the business model, the business idea, not entirely. The one key part of a successful business is really the leadership. And that's why the founders of businesses, they matter so much. When, when I was like delving deeper and deeper into this concept, I realized that whatever I was discovering about how I grew the business in the past, because I had to translate what happened in the past into something that was a framework that I could talk to people about and get them to understand how I was like thinking. I realized that that actually applies to a lot of things that we do in our lives. Whether it's our personal lives, our family, our romantic relationships, you know, all these things could be distilled down into systems as well. Yeah. So uh, the first principle of the 5E scale engine is evolve because it starts with who you are. Whether you're a business leader, whether you have a professional career, whether you're looking at romantic relationships or taking care of your kids, you need to be the leader of that relationship, right? And you have to evolve. And that's why it's called evolve how you think, the mindset that you have, the thought processes, all that determines everything else that happens. So it that. first assumes that you're not there yet. Yes. Because Evolve fundamentally assumes that you're not there yet, right? At, yeah. at, at the core, at least at this point in time, right? The time parameter fundamentally <laughs> suggests that you got to move somewhere else. Yes. Right? Is and, that... it, and it's a constant thing. Mm, mm, there is mm. no one point of time where you will be like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to do anything anymore. I'm already there. Uh, it never okay, is the case. Okay, okay, okay. And, and I get that, right? I think especially for a lot of our listeners, like, you know, they full-time job, a lot of things going on already. And then you, if you still want to do some side thing and then yeah. like, you know, like people make it so easy, right? Don't need to put any effort. Don't need any capital. <laughs> don't need all oh, rubbish. Okay, my worldview, all these are rubbish, right? So in that context, what needs to evolve? Uh, let me see how to put this into context mm. because typically I think from an entrepreneur yeah. uh, point of view, but this is actually something that I guess fundamentally affects everyone. So no matter what we're going to do, right, ourselves as individuals, there is a limitation. There is a constraint. The constraint is us. The bottleneck is us. 
uh, whether it's time, resources, attention, focus, it's, it's, it's us. The greatest leverage that we can have is if we change us to we. Not just me, 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 but really we. That's how you build a team. And, and what's a team? A team can be like, you know, a business owner having employees. It can be you and your spouse. It can be you and your family. But that's one of the beauty and the strong points of humans, right? The ability to gather people to work on a problem or work on a solution together. That's, I think, something that not a lot of primates or even animals do. And that is the greatest thing that I think can shift our mindset. Because if not, we are limited by time. There's only 24 hours. We are limited by resources. There's only so much like money we have as individuals. But if we pull everything together... Uh, then we have access to so much more. Mm. Um, even in terms of business also, that's that's the greatest leverage that I found changed the way I, I did business. At the start, when I was like starting a business with my co-founder, it was just the two of us and we was just like, me, 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 me. How, how do I solve this problem? How do I, how do, I do that? How do I grow the business? Et cetera, et cetera. But once we changed that mindset and thought of like, how do we do this? How can we solve this better? How do we together uh, overcome this obstacle, then suddenly so much more can be done. It becomes a lot more sustainable and a lot more team-based. Mm, mm. Yeah. Okay, okay. I, I mean, I, I get that. I don't fundamentally disagree. I just want to push you a little bit on that. Sure. On the environment side of things, right? Because it, uh, it always feels like it's about changing ourselves, right? But is there a parameter of thought around like what environment are you playing in, right? Before you make certain decisions to go forward, right? So how you change yourself really depends. You can change your environment, right? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that say that you are the average of the five closest people around you. That's mm. also, in a sense, environmental-based. Uh, environment also creates your comfort zone, which either limits or constrains you as well. It also happens in travel, geography, right? Like, I feel like I'm a different person when I'm in a different country. Mm, mm, because mm. my identity that's associated with me when I'm in, like, say, a known environment like Singapore, when I'm in somewhere else, like Poland, I don't have that identity anymore, right? And I, I, I do have some free reign to actually create a new identity. I can start, like, pushing boundaries, right? Maybe I'm more, like, jovial. Maybe I'm more, like, uh, optimistic. Maybe I'm more, like, irresponsible or, or something like that in another country because I no longer have those constraints. Mm. So, yes, I think environment does play a part in determining, like, who we are, how we evolve. It's not the only variable, though. It's, like, anything else. It's a multivariate yeah, yeah, problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody holds the absolute truth, right? Everybody yeah. is just putting, putting out frameworks, right? They are not absolute truth. Yeah, man. Right? There are certain parameters that you build upon, right? And, um, yeah. It's important to examine the parameters, right? But we don't go there. They're not very high and mighty, very complex. You know, we, I don't go there. I want I wanted something tangible, right? So back to the context of someone trying to start a business on the side, right? Maybe what are the, what are the first few things that, that they should do? Intent. Being clear about what mm. the intent is. Mm. So the intent is there, right? I want to yeah. start a business, make money. Yes. Uh yeah, I mean that's the macro broader mm. overview. Uh. But in terms of a business like the, the exact specific business. What is the intent? Like any business still needs to determine what the intent or the angle is. So let's say you're running a tuition. Uh, that's a perennial thing, right? Yeah, so yeah. tuition, what is the intent? If the intent is to like, say, make $500 a month, you know, just as a side income, cool. Then that is it, right? The expectation is set. The scope is set. We can optimize 
towards their intent. If the intent is to, hey, I need to replace my, my career, my job, right? Then there are other parameters or other like variables that we need to consider. How do we make sure that, you know, whatever your full-time income is, how do we replace that, right? And it's not like overnight. We need to set certain milestones. We need to set certain goals. We need to uh, create something that's more sustainable. We don't want to burn ourselves out as well. So all these things are suddenly constraints that we need to factor in. Mm. Uh, so the intent is very, very different really. Intent is how I'll approach it first. Mm. Then I can consider other aspects. Nice. Once I have the intent, then I'll be like, okay, with a full-time job, maybe I have 10 hours extra that I can devote to this. And if I'm not doing it purely for transaction, if I'm not purely doing it for like just making extra money and then calling it a day, I now have to dedicate that 10 hours to other aspects of the business. Like in all businesses, there are usually three different aspects. Marketing, sales, and then fulfillment. Fulfillment not feel good, but like like <laughs> completing the task, yeah. right? Completing the promise, right? Not like well, fulfill, fulfill. No. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Please go for it. Yeah. yeah. So marketing, sales, fulfillment. We've got to spend time on that, right? Mm. Like marketing is getting your word out there, getting on business out there, talking to prospects. And then when you do get prospects interest, interested, you've got to actually close them, right? And then making sure that the sale is done, maximizing your revenue per sale, etc. etc. And then fulfillment is actually delivering that service or product. All three aspects are essential for business. If we just focus on one, then, you know, we don't really have a business. We, we basically just have a part-time job. Mm. So that's how I'll look at the other problems. I'll categorize them in these three areas. I'll look at everything from product market fit to your unique selling point to your business model. Uh, just today, I think I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine on Facebook about like, Unique selling points. Every business needs to have a unique selling point, right? Otherwise, why would people choose you? What is the pain point that you are trying to solve? That becomes the benefit of your business or your product or your service. Without that, you're just maybe creating the next copycat business or you're just creating what you think is cool, right? But that's not what the market actually needs. So I think that is essential. After you do that business model, then you can you can focus on creating something that the product or the service that the market wants. Mm. You don't feel like you you should start at a place where you find it cool. Like you know, there's this some something you, you know you know what I mean, right? Because a lot of people yeah. will try to like monetize their passion. Ooh. Yeah. Or like they found something that is like really cool. Wow, this thing like fun, huh? like interesting. You know, let, let's see if I can do a business out of it. Yeah, right? that's a, that's what a lot of people. Uh, were actually entertained, you know, like yeah. start, starting there, right? So, so uh, you don't you don't feel that's a place to go. Uh, I think it's a very dangerous and risky. I I, I think I vibe with that, but please share your point of view. Start. Yes, yes. So the problem with that, right, is that it's not grounded in a problem or a pain point. Um, Luckily, you never say the word reality. <laughs> it's like, because you feel feel, la, but, but okay, please go for it, go for it. I mean, grounded in reality, I guess, is another way of putting it. For me, anything that is business related, I feel needs to be sustainable. I come from a place of like the traditional, conventional business where P&L is king. I'm not creating a startup that wants to change the world. Uh, that's not my intent. My intent is to make sure that the product and service that I create as a business is something that my customer wants, right? And the only way to ensure that is happening is if I know what problem or pain point I'm solving. So that will ensure that my customers will always want to pay for that product or service. When Vodin was like starting out, right? And it was just, how do we make money, right? How do we, how do we make profits to survive? And that was all that we could think about until we realized that we actually got customers and the customers depended on us. They relied on us for their like websites and emails. 
And then we realized there were a lot more things that we had to take care of. It wasn't just like, hey man, here's your username and password to log in and thanks. We had to make sure that, you know, that there was, the security was there, you know, make sure that things were stable and their websites wouldn't go down. We had to make sure that in the middle of the night, if they had any problems and they called us, right, we would pick up. And that slowly taught me the value of necessity of being there for the customers, making sure that all these points were taken care of. So when I talk about problem and pain points, right, it was actually something that we went through ourselves. And that's, that's how we discovered, shit, we actually had to make sure that these things are in place. So we knew this because the customers were actually telling us like, hey, why is my website down, right? And then we, we would be like, oh, crap. Then we've got to take care of that in the future. We've got to make sure that there were fail-safes. The hardware was good. We don't invest in like crappy, like whatever products or... Server racks. Yeah, you know, like, yeah right. Don't house it at weird places. Yeah. Certain data centers are failed. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. So that gave me a very, very strong sense of that problem pinpointing. I get it, I get it. But we also should be clear that at that point in time when you were growing Vodian, it was a period of time when this whole web hosting thing is still very young. Yes, very nascent. You don't really have a lot of competitors, right? In that yeah. sense, right? Yeah. And it's it's very nascent, it's very young. Website down, oh, sorry, uh, let's solve it, right? Like now, uh, website down, sorry, I'm botting out. Yeah. Right? Every second counts, too expensive, right? So so it's a different ballgame, right? And and I want to link it back to when you're talking about USP, right? Everybody says USP. To me, it's like cheesy, right? Like yeah. USP, USP, like, okay. Like, to, to be fair, some, some things are really not that unique, right? If my yeah. side hustle is try to be a tutor, uh, right? Like, okay, I run a full-time corporate job, but I got like a degree in math. Right? I'm super good at this thing. Yeah. You know, 11 math. Ah, no problem. La. I teach you. Tra, tra, tra. You can get A also, right? So I'm going to teach you how to do that. Why am I unique? So unique selling point is not something that is uniquely like different from everyone else. I think that's the misconception that people have. When we look at successful businesses all around the world, they don't have something that's like, wow, so damn unique that, you know, makes them so special that like they are the only one that provides that. McDonald's, for example, there's nothing unique about their business model. They are just offering fast food efficiently at an affordable price, maybe at convenient locations. Not particularly difficult. Everyone can copy that. The business model is right there. You basically find suppliers, you you have a physical location and then you sell it to end customers, right? Again, is it groundbreaking or innovative or disruptive? No. No. Any successful business that you can think about also, it's not about being particularly unique in your offering. So when I talk about USP, it's really figuring out like in terms of, say, your market, what exactly is customers looking for that they cannot get from anyone else or other people in the market, their competitors, are not doing well. There's this other conversation that I had between like about a diagram. There are three variables, good, cheap, and fast. If you want good and you, you can only choose two, right? Uh, if you want good and cheap, you can't have it fast. If you want cheap and fast, you cannot have it good. Uh, yada, yada, yada. There's something that I disagree on because I, I think it's possible to hit all three at once. It's a matter of setting expectations. Well, what do you mean by good? What do you mean by cheap? What so do you, you mean relatively by fast? define good, cheap, fast. Yeah. With a reference to who you're serving. Yeah. And I think not trying to like mark on yeah, some objective like standards some against everybody. Perfection. Uh, okay, okay. Right? Yeah, so yeah, I get that. Relatively. Mm-hmm. You're better than your competitors. You're faster than your competitors. You are relatively more affordable than your competitors. You have something that is good, cheap, fast. Mm. Right? And I, I think going down this route allows you to create a, a business that is able to deliver on a unique selling point. So, for example, if 
you have a restaurant, you want to create a food, you're not going to create a, unless you're, you know, a three-star Michelin restaurant, you're not going to create a very, very expensive meal because that's not the point. Uh, you just want to make sure that there's a good amount of healthy profit margin in there. Uh, you want to create something that is good, is tasty or is nutritious depending on what your business model is. And you definitely don't want to be taking like your customer on a one hour wait. Uh, you want to deliver it relatively fast, right? Uh, so that after they place their order, they get their food relatively quickly. That's all that's necessary to create something that could be a unique selling point for your business. For us, we focused on speed, support, security, stability. Those became our unique selling points. Are they very unique? No. But when people looked at Vodian, that was our USP. But the intersection of it is, is unique in that, sense. Yeah. in that sense. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, okay. But a lot of times we look at businesses out there today and then we'll be like, I also can do. It's like, yeah, you can do, but they did it 20 years ago. So they had the whole 20-year timeline to get to this place. So they have gotten the benefit when things were not so clear. Like, yeah. like when you did Bodian, right? Today, yeah. if someone comes in and do the same thing, the competition is stacked like mad, right? The amount of resources that you go in to do the yeah. same thing. So you become like relatively less unique. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to be more unique in a crowded space. It's more difficult, but it is still possible. Uh, that's that's why no, we're it's running not about possibility, CLDY, right? It's about right probability, probability, right? True. But that's the same case for anything that we do right now. Mm -hmm. And it's the nature of business and the world and society that we live in, right? Over time, basically, as the population grows, as technology grows, right? Things are just stacked against mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. So we can go back to our previous example of tuition. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Tuition has been around forever, right? But yet people are still becoming tuition teachers. Why? And how are they different? What's going to differentiate one tuition teacher from another? Apply that for any other professional service industry. Doctors, lawyers, financial advisors, real estate agents, right? What's the difference? It's really up to us to define that and temper it together with our personality. Because mm -hmm. a combination of those things will attract certain kind of people and repulse certain kind of people. So I think that is what creates a, a uniqueness to the product, the service, the business that we are creating. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's the thing, right? It's just probability game on, yeah. some, on some level. At some point, you got to call it shots, right? Like, Dude, this, it's so tough these thing, days, Yeah, guys. this thing doesn't work. Yeah, you got to call it shots. I was like, wow, Sell Marshmallow also got to do TikTok. I was like, wow, love. it's amazing, right? The, yeah. amount of, the amount of work that goes into that and all that, right? So, so yeah, it's interesting. And, and I want to double down on the three things you're talking about, right? Like, uh, marketing, sales, fulfillment. Which is the factor that you think most people don't get? Like most salaried people that are trying to start a side hustle, you know, which thing do you think that like, people don't understand or is it e most easily misunderstood that you want to share a little bit more about? Most likely it's going to be fulfillment because everybody you talks sure about... sure it's not like satisfaction, <laughs> that kind of fulfillment though? No? Not passion, that kind of fulfillment. Passion, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so 
when you when you look at business, right, it's like I'd say like ninety percent of the time, everybody just looks at you know Facebook ads or like whatever marketing strategy or tactic that is, right? Because everybody talks about oh how to get more revenue, more sales, more customers, how to generate leads, right? Three hundred quality leads, leads da, 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 yeah, da, da, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do this, right? Yeah. So that typically happens in the marketing or sales process. How to close? You know, Wolf of Wall Street. Sell me a pen. Blah blah blah. Mm. Don't, 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 don't sell the pen. <laughs> but yes, yeah. yeah. There's a story. It's a story, right? Yeah. And, and therefore, nobody cares about the last one because it's the most boring. Yeah. But it's the, I feel it's the most important. I also think it's the most important, yes. When you look at businesses, the business that is able to create a great product or a great service and constantly deliver on that such that people know and can expect that level of service, that is what determines a good business from a bad business. Whether it's a supermarket tuition, uh, whether it's you know a taxi company, whatever it is, right? The consistency is key. And that is all happening within a fulfillment space. Systems come in very, very, very strongly for that. So when you are a solopreneur, you only have yourself to blame, right? Your business is you. When you start developing a team, right? And these could be contractors, freelancers, employees, right? Whatever it is, even a co-founder in a team, it's going to be a problem. Whenever you involve someone else, Things don't just get incrementally difficult. Things get exponentially difficult. There is a law that talks about this. It's uh, McAlfey's law also. The, mm. the value of a network is the number of nodes squared. So same thing happens with communication. The level of difficulty is not just one plus one, but one squared, two squared, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's so difficult to communicate what's in your, your mind to other people and then to a team. And then to like many other like different people, which is why it's, it's so crucial to not just be a good thinker, but be a good communicator as well. Mm. Uh, what kind of processes and systems and whatnot do you have to translate what's in your head into a system that people can follow? Mm. That will affect fulfillment. Even by yourself, these things matter. Fulfillment, again, depends on consistency, depends on the satisfaction that a customer gets. If you only have one customer, cool, maybe you can do that really well. If you suddenly have 10 customers, how do you ensure that everybody gets the same level of service, same level of you know, results, mm -hmm. same level of product or service that you're, you're creating? That is why, even if you're a really good cook, cooking for yourself versus cooking for a room of like 10 people, it's going to be very, very different. Eh? I know what you're saying and I agree. Right? I mean, I always tell people like, oh, you know, the, you think you're hiring one person to do a job. Actually, you're hiring 1.2. The 0.2 is you. You're, yeah. ma you're managing. Yeah, right? At the fifth hire, you can now hire a manager and offload that 0.8. You know, yeah. <laughs> like one extra person work yeah. that you got to do, right? And I think that's the part that a lot of people you know, especially if you're not in like business long enough, you, you don't really understand. Like at some point in our network, right? Like we were having part-timers of part-timers of part-timers. You know, like we had like such a narrow <laughs> part-timer. Oh, this part-timer is supposed to help us analyze this thing. This part-timer is going to design. This part-timer is do storytelling. I was like, shut up, right? Like it, it, this thing doesn't work. Why are we doing it this way, right? And at some point, a friend of mine was just like, I tell you, one thing you got to do, cut them all, right? Concentrate, like pull the jobs together. Yeah. So it's much easier to control. We can set up SOPs. And, and we were at a point in time, we hire so many part-timers that we can hire full-timer already. You, yeah, know, you know, that kind of thing, right? But it is the reality of scaling fast. At this point in time, I don't have enough to hire multiple people. So I hire part-timer and then the next part-timer, next part-timer. At some point, the scale was so clunky that you then need to consolidate. Yeah. Right. So it's like a you cannot say like this is a bad thing. It is a reality. It's at some point in time something worked. At another point in time, it does not work anymore. The system got so clunky with so many people that were part timers that you just gotta like put it together back again and then like you're in the next step. 
And yeah. then now um, and we understand we have a few full-timers and we keep some part-timers as spare capacity, right? Extra resources yeah. when we need to do more. So it, it is that kind of like app and flow of like building systems that it's not so linear, I feel. Like. That word that you mentioned, capacity, is, is crucial because that's how people view growth as. They just want to build capacity. But that's the, that's the fallacy and the problem in itself. Because when you build capacity, it doesn't mean that the business is growing. It just means that the business volume is, is higher. Whether it's, you're basically just throwing manpower at a problem. Uh. It doesn't build capability. Capacity and capability are very, very different. Because as a business that has greater capabilities, you are now able to take on more without feeling the stress of it. If you add on simply capacity, you're just adding numbers to your payroll, right? You're introducing redundancy, you're introducing inefficiencies, you're introducing management overhead. It actually increases the drag that you have on the business. That actually causes a lot more stress and burnout than if you know you actually simplify, consolidate and, and work on the things that matter. But it's easier said than done. Yeah. When the crunch time comes, right, you, you don't have time anymore, you just hire somebody to do the job. They can help in the short term. But businesses need to spend time on the strategy. They need to spend time on the simplification, the onboarding, the training, so that they can, when the time comes, get the ability to build capability. Mm-hmm. So that's why it almost feels like a juggling game sometimes. Yeah, because because you cannot say that when it's crunch time, you still like, oh, think long term. Yeah. No lah, my goodness, I yes. gotta get this shit done now, right? Higher, yeah. higher, higher. But at some point, the massive amount of higher becomes problematic and then you gotta trim, right? So it becomes yeah. like a whole process well, of like, you know, and then like recalibrating, you know, it's yeah. like, at least that's my personal experience. I don't know. Yeah. Know, yeah. So sometimes you can't trim, right? Especially, and you shouldn't trim also, right? Sometimes you hire people full time and it's on you, right? Your, their rice bowl is on you and well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't the, want to be trimming. Yes, yes. People, and then that's the, that's the dimension of discussion. Yeah. Are we going to the, the moral dimension or is it yeah. just the, the the very basic that the numbers need to work, right? If you're yeah. running a business and all that, right? But okay, okay. Well, we have meandered <laughs> quite a while. I like that. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So if someone's starting on the business on their own, fulfillment is difficult, I know. Maybe sales and marketing, more people are talking about it. It's it's more out there. Should you do it with someone else in a sense of like, how do you go about, like, should you do it on your own first or should you like look for a co-founder right from the get-go? A lot of people fall into this, like showing a friend to do a business. Yeah. You know, a house yeah. position here is no. Yeah. You know, but I want to hear your position. Like, should you choose a friend to do a business? Uh, I, wow. It's, it's like getting into marriage, right? Like, should we get into marriage or not? Like, it, it depends. It really, really what depends. What does it depend on? Values, visioning, culture. You don't get in bed with everybody or you don't get in a relationship with everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with a business partner as well. Even though you might enjoy each other's company, it doesn't mean that you'll be working well together. No, but it's a colleague, you know? Like, uh, let's say the context is my colleague, you know, and we yeah. work well together. You know okay. what I mean? Like, uh, we work well together. We always gossip about our boss, you know, like we hate the SOP and then we start a new business and we keep creating SOPs. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different discussion. Yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah. yeah. But, yeah so, boom, boom, right? So, so it's like, okay, uh, my colleague, uh, I assume yeah. there's a colleague. We work well together, you know, and then we we hate the, we hate the boss. We want to start our own side, side business. Like we set a bar together or like some e-commerce thing selling teddy bears. I don't know, like, whatever, right? Um. Yeah. Would Would you Would you do that, or how would you evaluate this other person, whether or not it's suitable? With like employment, there's always this uh probation period, right? With dating or with romantic relationship, there's a dating period, right? You don't get married on the first day. With business partnerships, <laughs> I thought you wanted to say dating also got probation period, right? I <laughs> sign a contract. There is. Three months. I give you three months. Uh, sign a contract. It doesn't work. Bye bye. No, that, but there so, is. It's not called yeah. probation period. Yeah. It's called dating. Yes. Yes. Right? I get it. I it's get it. Dating yeah. and, and with business. 
partnerships is the same thing as well. Yes, you might be colleagues. Yes, you might even be on the same project team and yada, yada. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you are working on a specific business with a certain scope together first before committing to anything, which is in a business taking on like equity and, and shareholding, right? That can be easily done through like maybe part-time projects or, or any small projects, you know, just getting a sense of the each other's like values, how you work under stress, what your true values are, right? Whether in times of crisis, do you go back to a place of like honesty or do you go back to a place of not honesty, right? It really matters. So that period is the, the probation or the dating period of business partnerships. That is the probably the, the one true test that I'll have before committing to any equity-based partnerships. But prior to that, definitely you want to find somebody that is not just friendly with you or that you're friendly with, but shows certain values, right, that are important to you. It shares the same kind of vision that you have in terms of the business, right? Again, if that guy only cares about, say, making a quick buck, or taking care of his like, you know, maybe his monthly expenses and then he's done. It's going to be super difficult if in your mind you want to grow to be the next like Uber or something. Very, very different visions. Mm. So all these things need to be established before like any business partnership officially happens. Mm. Okay, fair, fair. I get it. Yeah. So is there a point where you got to call it quits? Right. So quitting is a, it's a big one. Uh. It's like, Quitting and firing, these two things, people don't really talk about it. Mm. It's always like glance or you have some serious motivation like, how can you quit? <laughs> right? You must go all out. It's like, walao sing sing la, brother. Right? Yeah. It's like, when will you call it quits? Okay? Same on a context, we're going to start a business on the side, but we still have a full-time job, right? So that means we still got some sort of safety net. Yeah. It's just a bit song here. So we want to yeah. do something on the side, right? Yeah. Like, and we try. Are there certain parameters that I got to think about when I before I go in? And then is there a situation where I should just call it quit? So it's either we, we pivot into another thing, that means we quit this business, right? Yeah. Or we quit our the business partner, right? Yeah, okay, okay. Both things, tell me. Okay, so, so I, th I think in terms of a business, right? That is why I highly, highly recommend people start with a service-based business business. Low cost, fast returns, you focus on the PL quickly. Product-based businesses, a bit more difficult. Depending on what product you're, you're doing, if you're doing trading where you're actually finding a supplier, bringing in a product and you're selling it almost immediately, then the capital is basically the cost of goods, shipping and fulfillment and all that. If you're building a brand new, never seen before product, then your R&D costs are going to be astronomical and and tooling and prototyping and, and all that. No, then so you shouldn't be doing there. it on the side. Yeah. Right? We should be we should be creating a prototype and raising money. Yeah. Right. It's a different ball game. It's a different business. So uh, that's why service-based businesses are the best. Mm. Um, when I look at businesses, I, I think I've distilled it into like maybe about four main areas. Like I call it a four P's. Right. There's the problem and pain, of course. That's number one, making sure that there's a real problem and pain that you're solving. But more so than that, like, what's your proficiency, right? What are you good at? Mm. What skill sets do you have, right? Like, I'm not a numbers person, but somebody else might be, right? Maybe they're good at accountancy, doing people's taxes, optimizing their accounts or whatever it is. So maybe they're good with that. That's their proficiency. What is the purpose also? Why are you doing it? Because guess what? Entrepreneurship or career or whatever it is, it's going to be difficult. And if you cannot put in the hours or if there's nothing that gets you up in the morning or if there's nothing that keeps you up at night, you're always going to be lagging behind. Not only just like lagging, we're going to be like miles behind your competition because the competition is somebody that's driven. If you don't have that purpose behind it, right, and you just think, oh, it'll make you money, hmm. guess what? It's never going to work. 
but but purpose don't need to be huge. Right? If it doesn't your business is not huge, you don't need to be huge. It can be just I need a bar to hang out with my friends. That's my purpose. I'm gonna create a very fun bar that all my friends would love to hang out. And you got a very clear defined pair, like target group, right? Just chill all your friends, make sure they like this place, tada. If that really right? drives if, you. Yeah, if that people drives don't, you, right? People shouldn't be confused with like you don't need a grandiose yeah. purpose, right? Like, it can be a narrowly all. defined purpose and, and only if you truly truly believe in it mm, some people feel mm. like oh they state that and that's it that's their purpose mm. but purpose really comes from within right it could be a chip on your shoulder when you're growing up it could be something that was lacking in your life that bar example perhaps it could stem from a place where you know they've always lacked a place because they are maybe their house was always filled with people and there was nowhere to hang out with friends and that that drives them because that was their obsession for many years that's very different from somebody that just go look at a bar and says, hey, that would be a very cool place for us to hang out. Right? And that's the end of it. Or that's the so start you, of you it. So you feel like it needs to be that strong. It needs like to be the, something the, that's the, the deep purpose needs to be so deep. It doesn't have to be grandiose, but mm. it needs to be very personal. Because? Because that drives you. It must be an obsession. It must be something that's deeper than just, oh, that's cool. Or that's fun. Or, you know, that would be nice to do. Right, it has to be deeper than that. I feel that that separates a good purpose from something that you know, or someone that doesn't doesn't have that purpose. Mm, mm, mm. Because um, business is very hard. Actually. Yeah, actually, anything is is really difficult. Like anything you want to do, it doesn't just apply to business. It applies to anything, whether mm. it's a professional career, whether it's like you know, could be a romantic relationship. Also, could be uh bringing up of your children or anything. Mm. Right, the purpose really matters. Right, this I think goes a lot deeper than than just you know stating oh this is. Something that uh, I want to do. Okay, okay. Purpose. Last um, piece. Passion. What's passion. the difference between passion and purpose? Very hard to define this too. Please share with me. I feel that passion is some. It comes from a place of, for lack of a better word, maybe fun. Purpose is somebody that maybe doesn't have to be something that you take joy in doing, but there's something that drives you to do it. The purpose then could be the fact that, hey, I am so sick and tired of like all the red tape in my business or in my company that I know there's a better, faster, cheaper way of doing it. Right, that's my purpose, right? I'm done and this is something that I want to commit to, right? Mm. That could be purpose too. Okay. Again, it's not all four that must be present. I'm saying that, you know, these are the four considerations that you need to you need to have, right? That can't just be service level. It has mm. to be a bit deeper than that. Passion also is there. The joy that you have for certain things, you know, for me, it work, it's work. Work, entrepreneurship, business, it's fun for me. It's my passion, right? I, I can't see myself doing anything else. I see friends who have that passion for other things as well. Could be cooking. Or I have friends who love cooking. I have people who love sports like golf, for example. <laughs> Spend their whole life talking about yeah, like, yeah, I know golf. Those <laughs> I think yeah. the danger is, is, is thinking that passion is all that matters. Because people who use their passion to get into, say, a career or to make it a business... That's very dangerous, man, because you're going to kill your passion, basically. And it's very hard for you to detach, to then see it from a more objective view. Yeah. Like, is this working? It's not working. Why? Yeah. You know, and and I, and, I mean, I speak from experience. I <laughs> went through multiple rounds of this thing. Now it's like, okay, you know, like, I, I don't hate this thing. I quite like it, you know, but there are many other things that, that, that are part and parcel of deciding whether something should continue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so when should I quit then? You know that, that diagram where two people are digging a hole and one just like gives up and the diamond's right there and there's only like an inch to go and then the other guy just like persists and digs and digs and digs and then finally gets the diamond. It's like that, but it doesn't have to be. So that's why I, I say to start a side hustle with a service-based business because it's really, really like much faster than a product-based business and a lot more lower cost. Your cost is basically your time. 
that's it, right? And you can literally start your, your service-based business, whatever it is, uh, almost immediately with very, very low risk. That said, I think it's really important to frame the kind of business and the kind of, you know, what we mean by giving up yeah. as well. Because uh, I feel like that, that story has fallacy in it. Like survivor bias. It's like, yeah, last one. Yeah. You know, but maybe you dig, 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 dig until you see because also got nothing come out, right? So yeah. So, yeah. so, so that, yeah. that's why service-based businesses are the easiest. Okay. You, you basically offer your time for money, right? And you get paid almost immediately. Like compared to a product business, yeah, you don't yeah. have that kind of overhead. So then I I should quit if there's no business. Is that the situation? You don't just like just try something and for the very first day or the first week, you just give up. Mm-hmm. Because you haven't tried a lot of things yet, right? Perhaps it's your positioning, perhaps it's your pricing, perhaps like people don't really know what you're trying to sell. Uh, and so there's a process of actually trying and testing. But that process is mitigated by the fact that you still have your career, you still have a full-time job, this is a side hustle, you're still trying things on the side, you don't have to invest in inventory or R&D or anything like that, you're just spending your time working on these things. So I'm actually not that worried for people that want to start a hustle giving up. I'm actually more worried about the people that want to start a hustle but can't commit to it. So why can't they commit to it? Number one, they have a full-time job. A full-time job gives them safety, comfort, familiarity, confidence. It's even though it might be painful, it pays the bills, it gives you a salary. It's very, very hard to say no to that. It's very, very hard to say, yeah, at the end of the day or at the end of the week, I'm just going to take my free time and I'm going to work on my business. That takes discipline. That takes like that purpose. That takes that obsession, the drive, the passion to work on. So I, I really wouldn't worry about giving up. I actually would worry about like persisting people will give up very easily mm-hmm. um, that's not the issue at all maybe I have a different perspective <laughs> yeah I don't give up too easily that's why I'm like ah why should I call it quits right yeah yeah that's a different story we can yeah. talk privately we can oh, talk privately okay yes. so much more that we can talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. okay so you're saying like positioning and, and pricing right these two things right? and yeah. I think there's a lot a lot of wisdom in these things right so are there quick hacks around like if I decide to do a service right maybe copy my boss's service <laughs> so yeah. we're gonna start a service because we are actually the ones providing this thing anyway we are the fulfillment right me and my colleague we fulfill this service my boss only talk only right so <laughs> yeah so then we're gonna start the same service how should I price how should I position myself well when we started web design when we were kids uh, our angle was very clear uh, we were cheaper mm. <laughs> that was literally it but it is still a differentiation factor we just have to be clear or aware that you know cheap can't be or shouldn't be the USP that you have otherwise it's just a downhill battle mm. I uh, sell for one dollar. Next day, a competitor come up selling it for like ninety cents. Yeah, become value dollar. Like, yeah, so yeah. it's not very sustainable. Um, so there needs to be more than that. But it can be a way to start, and you just increase from there. So coming out with positioning, I think really, really something that I mean, there's no structured framework to it. It's really understanding like what is it that your customers are looking for. There needs to be a difference or differentiation. That is the starting point of creating something that's different about you. And then next is your your personality, uh, how you portray yourselves. Like I know some of the best marketers uh tend to be very polarizing, a little bit uncouth. Like he swears a lot, which is. Not your typical marketer. But hey, people who like that, they're guaranteed to be people that hate it, right? But it doesn't matter. Because the the more polarizing something is, uh, the more hate, true, but the more love also. Mm. That extreme is only created with something or someone that is is polarizing. Mm. So there is no 
position to have a differential standpoint by being objective and in the middle. You can, you can. A lot of businesses are like grind. that. I feel like it's a very hard grind. It's a hard very grind. Very hard to do. Very hard to do that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, when you are in the middle, you're average, and average is boring. So it is mm. possible, but you're just boring. No, but you don't need to be average, right? You don't need to be polarizing. But you can be. When I say average, I, I just mean like in the, the whole spectrum. In the spectrum, yeah, somewhere like in, the in the middle. middle. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> fair, fair, so, fair. Yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, kind yeah. of. We, you shared a lot. Good stuff. Um, in closing, if if any any last things you want to add, I mean, you you have a book, you have a program. There's all sorts of stuff there. Um, any last things you want to add? Same context, huh? Me and my friend, we had our boss want to start a business. Anything you have not covered that you feel like they should know. Oh, so many things, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I give you three lah. One thing not enough, I'll give you three. I mean, I, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, whether they are like starting out or you know established. And I think that's that's really like I don't know where to begin, right? And that's that's why get the book, right? The book is the easiest way to start. It's the five E scale engine. Right now, it's only like less than fifteen dollars shipped, mm. right? So that is really the best. Why way you still to do start. hard copy? Uh this is the last print run. Okay, okay. So okay. at first I wanted to do it because <laughs> of like... <laughs> time, limited time only. We're going to like open up the hotline now. Okay, you're going to sell. It's true, it's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Superscaling.com <laughs> slash book. Yeah, it yeah. is the real last print run because like what Reggie says, physical is... Oh, I'm, I'm going to go Amazon all the way already. It's just mm, mm. Uh, print on demand, We're ebook, done. Done. audiobook. That's it, man. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. Lovely, lovely. Nice. Yeah. Awesome, man. Okay, first question is, what has been your best and worst investment you've ever made? Don't say Vodian, please. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that about you. Like, give oh, me something man. new, yeah. Uh, so I actually invested in the US, uh, property in the US. Mm. I went to get single family homes, SFH, mm-hmm. uh, way back, about seven years back. Anyway, I went to Tennessee. Tennessee, okay. Uh, with the intent, again, of having cash flow, which it did. What I didn't realize was how bad property management could be if you're like outside of the country. Uh, so imagine like you have property, everything is fine until one day you wake up and you get an email saying that, hey man, the HVAC is broken. Tenant has complained. We're going to fix it, but it's going to cost you $5,000. Now $5,000 is basically like, I don't know, depending on the price of your property, it could be, you know, six months rent or something mm-hmm. or profits from six months or even 12 months. All gone. One night, one email. And you don't even know whether it's it legit. Not. Yeah, yeah. You don't even know whether it's like, you go ask people, you know, you ask legit people, you know, <laughs> you get three receipts but or three uh, quotations, but are they all from your friend? Like, <laughs> You don't know, right? And at the end of the day, even if you do trust the quotation process and the payment process, like, how's the quality of work? Mm. Uh, there's so many doubts that I had and it was just really bad. Because... Throughout that process, I also realized that I really don't like admin work, paperwork, red tape, all that. Well, not, not a fan. And it's really difficult to deal with US property, like when you call your tax accountant, when you file for state and federal taxes. And like, wow, well, I'm sure somebody that's more diligent and detail-oriented will like it, but not my cup of tea, man. Okay. <laughs> so that is the worst investment, I presume. Uh, 
But it made money. It made so money. it's the best and worst. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Great. So, Great. Next question. What is one thing under $100 that has been a game changer for you? YouTube premium. You are the fifth person that said that. <laughs> you still need to sponsor. Right, right. You are the fifth person that said that. Legit. I came back recording. You're my like, what? Eighth recording. You're the fifth person that, that said it. And, and I'm like, it's a premium, man. No, and the thing is, I feel like I borderline there already. <laughs> and then you guys keep saying, right? I feel like I'm getting close, you know? It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, YouTube premium, YouTube premium, YouTube premium. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's getting annoying enough. So YouTube, you made it. Like, you made it annoying enough, so but sufficient annoying, value, right? right? That I'm willing to pay for it. Okay, <laughs> okay last, last question. One place you learn that you think is underrated. It can be a book, not your own book. It can be a website. It can be a YouTube channel. It can be a podcast that you listen to that people need to know is underrated. A place that you learn. Oh, that's tough because I usually just go to YouTube, books. Is that a favorite channel? Like your YouTube? Oh, like, my favorite channel. Oh, um, that, no. you learn, that you learn. I use from. YouTube like a search engine. And, and it usually like differs from the time, right? Like sometimes if I search for like, I don't know, how to uh, cook rice, for example, and I find this guy and I love Why this guy. Why is a guy. Chinese guy searching for how to cook rice? It's just an example. Okay. It's just an example. Okay, I give it to it's you. It's just an example. Yeah, so Uncle Roger will be very unhappy with you. But anyway, <laughs> yes. But I actually did find out about that because uh, I forgot whether it's supposed to be like your oh, yeah. knuckle or whether it's supposed to be like like your finger is it supposed to go into the rice? Uh, and like, it's like uh, so anyway, uh. because I was like minimalist and all that, I used to only have one pot and that one pot will do everything from cook noodles, cook rice, cook, cook popcorn, cook, cook whatever. Lah. One pot. But yeah, I just gave up. I just got a rice cooker and made my life like so much better. So are you still minimalist? I was minimalist because I was traveling and you know, I was like, in a very different frame of mind. But now I'm more settled. So I wouldn't say that I am minimalist now, but I, I still do embrace a lot of the values. A lot which of is, conscious spending. Yes, and all yes. Consciousness in everything that you do, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's why intention is so important to me. Like, why are you doing it? Because mm-hmm. in the past, I, I would just do it because, oh, my friends like, or, or because my parents told me, or because you know, that's the way it's been done. But it's, it doesn't translate into, you know, joy or fulfillment because mm-hmm. it's not coming from a place of authenticity or congruence. Congruence. <laughs> Right. All the chim chim words. I, was like, I, I get it. I get it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Lovely. Appreciate it. 